Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Alhamdulillahirrabbilalamin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala asyrafil anbiya'i wal mursalin. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanaka la ilmalana illa ma'alamtana innaka antal alimul hakim. Wala hawla wala quwata illa billahil aliyil azim. Amma ba'd. Qala Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala A'udhu billahi min shaytanir rajim Ya ayuhal ladhina amanu Attaqullaha haqqa tuqatihi Wala tamutunna illa wa antum muslimun Sadaqallahul azim Alhamdulillah Thank you so much for Brother Ravin For the introduction As well as all team members From Muslim Circle I praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And very happy to be able to join Uh, the program and thank you for having me. Uh, when we discuss about um, Ramadan uh, beyond do's and don'ts, which is also um, uh, the title of a small booklet that I produced several years ago, which is available on uh, Amazon Kindle uh, and Google Playbooks as well. Um, uh, we, I, we were discussing about uh, how to make sense about Ramadan. Uh, because we know that a human being uh, is a uh, uh, is a meaning maker. Uh, when we learn something, we try to make sense about it. Uh, we try to find meanings about something that we learn and also about something that we do. We remember when uh, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala appointed uh, Adam alaihi uh, salam to become the Khalifa. Uh, it raised a question uh, by the angels uh, who asked Allah SWT from uh, Surah Al-Baqarah verse 30, uh, why do you appoint uh, someone who has uh, the potential to mischief and bloodshed? And then Allah SWT replied saying, uh, I know what you do not know. And in the next verses in verse 31, 32, Allah Subhanahu SWT uh, demonstrated the ability of Adam alaihi salam to learn and Allah is teaching and Adam is learning and the ability of Adam to learn uh, and to connect between names uh, uh, and meaning uh, is beyond the ability of the angels to do so. So what we can understand from uh, this ayah is that uh, the ability to learn or the learning being is the core character of why we are here as the Khalifa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And probably that was uh, one of the reasons why um, uh, I came to Finland because uh, I would like to learn more about learning. Uh, Alhamdulillah, uh, I had the opportunity a little bit to learn about Islam uh, about Sharia uh, in Jordan many, many years ago. But after coming back to Malaysia and uh, work with the society, uh, as well as becoming a school teacher, I realized that uh, if we say that the society is facing challenges and having problems, uh, the problems are not solved simply by telling them and making them know about religion. Uh, knowing uh, is not enough. Uh, to solve problem. So there, there are lots of issues uh, surrounding uh, how we are interacting with our deen. And 
I come to Finland with the main reason and uh, the main reason is to learn more about learning, including learning religion. Um, I would like to uh, begin our session today, inshallah, by um, refreshing our memory. Perhaps uh, some of you or many of you uh, heard or read about a novel that was written by um, Ibn Tufail from Al-Andalus uh, in uh, 12th century, if I'm not mistaken. So it was a story about uh, a person, a boy, who later on a man who was raised by animals, uh, didn't have any contact or exposure to other human beings, but because he, by his nature, as a human, known as Hai Ibn Yaqvan, um, he, he can sense that there is something beyond the physical world. Uh, there is a super being that sometimes brings him hope and sometimes brings uh, him fear. And because of that, uh, because of his interaction with the unnamed and unknown super being, sometimes he bow down, uh, sometimes he uh, prostrates, um, and that is how he is. Until one day, uh, he met another person uh, who came to his island, known as Absal. And Absal convinced him to come with him uh, to the mainland and to see other human beings like them. Uh, so he went with Absal uh, to the mainland. And he was quite amazed to see there are so many people, uh, quote-unquote civilized people, and uh, five times a day, uh, he heard uh, someone uh, singing a beautiful song from the minarets of beautiful buildings. And they will go to this beautiful building to bow and to prostrate just like him. Uh, so out of curiosity, I mean, through Absal, uh, he asked, uh, why do these people bow? Why they prostrate, uh, perform the sujud? And then their answer was, uh, we do this because there was someone they call a prophet, told them to do so. Uh, and that is why they are doing all these rituals. So to Hai Ibn Yaqvan, the answer was upsetting because he bowed and he prostrates because of what he felt in himself. So it was something more meaningful to him. But unfortunately, from his point of view, these people are doing all those actions simply because they were told to do so without having a personal meaning to each of them. So he thinks that their religion is fake. <laughs> um, uh, and this novel was written by Ibn Tufail to criticize the society, uh, the Muslim society in Andalus at that time, who probably lost uh, their meaning of being Muslims. Uh, they fast, they perform salah, uh, but the meaning behind all those actions uh, were not visible and had no clear impact on their character. So um, this is the background of why uh, I try to uh, bring our brothers and sisters in our session today to talk about Ramadan uh, do's and don'ts uh, from the perspective of um, uh, mainly, we can talk it uh, in, in a very broad perspective, but we'll try to concentrate more on um, education as well as parenting, how to engage um, Ramadan with our children, especially, uh, for example, as myself, and I believe there are many like me out there, uh, we raise our kids as a minority Muslims in a very 
um, um, isolated place uh, where the struggle for them to make sense of uh, practicing Islam and being a practicing Muslims uh, is not easy. Their experience in constructing their understanding about religion is very much different from what I had uh, during my childhood. Um, so when we talk about uh, beyond do's and don'ts, um, of course, as a student of Sharia, um, uh, I love um, all the great books that I used to read, memorizing the Mutun uh, I learn Arabic language, uh, not uh, with apps, uh, but I learn Arabic language by memorizing uh, Mutun, like uh, Sharah Ibn Aqil, uh, and books like that, Mutun Al-Ajrumiyah. Um, of course, we love uh, uh, all the legacies, um, but when it comes to education, um, it raises a lot of questions because um, to me, what doesn't work at school has no value in education and learning. So we need to re-examine how we understand our religion and uh, what can we do to improve and to help our children who live in their time today uh, to engage themselves and to embrace the, the true meaning of religion because our experience cannot be their experience. They need to have their own experience and because of that, uh, we will try to uh, re-examine how religion is being presented to them uh, in education, formally and casually at home in terms of parenting um, so that uh, they will benefit uh, from, from Islam, inshallah. But of course, uh, uh, it reminds me as well to uh, another book that was um, written long time ago from 1930s, uh, Sabertooth Curriculum. Um, <clears throat> it is a nice book uh, to be read, especially by those who are interested in uh, educational reform. Uh, the story was about a man who saw children uh, wasting time playing. He said, no, we need to educate all these children. So he thought that um, in order to educate these children, we must teach them uh, three essential skills for life at that time. The first one is to catch fish with bare hand. Uh, the second one, we need to teach them how to hunt horse with club. And the third one is uh, we need to use fire uh, to chase away uh, saber-toothed uh, tiger at that time. Um, when, when, when he um, composed uh, this idea, uh, that is where saber-tooth curriculum uh, started. So when these children were educated with that curriculum, uh, Alhamdulillah, they have more people who can help to catch fish. So their life become more prosperous and, and they, they had a good life. But they were not prepared with something that is upcoming, uh, the ice age. The weather was very cold and glacier occurred uh, and then everything changed. Uh, the water in the river is no longer clear. It's very difficult to see the fish uh, and they, they are not able to catch fish with bare hand. Um, they cannot uh, hunt uh, the horse anymore because the horse is no longer there. Um, uh, it been, uh, the, the, horse, uh, the horses are replacing by does and deers. Uh, who runs even faster than, than those type of horse. And even saber-toothed uh, tiger 
disappeared because of pneumonia and etc and replaced by uh, bears uh, who have no fear with fire so what they taught their children um, is not functioning anymore so some people said why don't we use nets uh, we try to catch fish with nets and then we we use um, arrow to hunt uh, the deers and those over there uh, unfortunately a group of people said no uh, we cannot cheat, we should not use net, we must continue to use our hand even though it's difficult but it also teaches us perseverance to have sabar uh, and the story continues. I mean, what my, my point from this saber-tooth curriculum is that um, when we fail to change the way we teach and the way children are learning, while things around us are changing, then we will have a lot of uh, challenges in our, in our life. Uh, so this is why uh, it's quite important for us to uh, re-examine a little bit about uh, how we teach and how our children learn, including um, about Ramadan, uh, as we are now in our second day, Alhamdulillah. Uh, so as, been, uh, as, as what you can see from the screen, uh, Sadika, uh, listed down uh, five different types of teaching and learning. Two belong to teacher-centered and another three belong to student-centered. Um, of course, uh, when we talk about uh, learning great books, the Turoth that we had, uh, it is part of the perennialism. Uh, but we try to find balance between benefiting from the classical books that were produced by our scholars, Rahimahumullahu Jami'an, uh, but at the same time, we need to also have some sort of progressivism and to be more constructive uh, in um, developing the understanding in our children's mind when it comes to learning about Islam. Um, yeah, and because of that, um, I always uh, ask myself and also my fellow teachers back in my home country in Malaysia, uh, we have a school we are offering um, an education and we sometimes call it as a Islamic education. But when we use the term Islamic education, we have to ask critically, what is Islamic in Islamic education? What makes uh, an education Islamic? And what makes other types of education not Islamic? This is very important because uh, we don't want uh, to use the term uh, irresponsibly, uh, meaning that we claim that we are offering Islamic education, but the meaning of Islamic education is limited only to subjects. For example, because our children are learning Al-Quran, our children are learning Fiqh, uh, they learn Arabic language instead of Spanish, French, uh, and other uh, different languages. And because of that, uh, it became uh, Islamic education. But at the same time, there are many other things which are very alien and foreign to our deen. And that is why uh, from my limited and humble observation, it seems that um, our understanding about Islamic education in general uh, are very much focusing on the what, which is the content, and then probably the when, when, when children should receive education, at what age, and then where, referring to institution, what type of schools, um, what type of madrasa or pesantren, 
but uh, we do not uh, give enough uh, attention to the essential part uh, of the education and that is the why and of course uh, in terms of practicality the how this is where perhaps sometimes uh, jahiliyah is crawling into our education even though we label what we offer in schools as islamic education right um, in order to enrich our discussion uh, this one particular hadith that i'm sharing with you uh, on the screen um, is something that uh, is, is a hadith that i myself learned about it like 20 25 years ago when i was studying sharia but we know that we cannot see except something that we have in our mind so in my mind at that time i had fiqh and because of that when i recite uh, this hadith what i fo uh, my focus was only on the very last part of the hadith let's take a look at what uh, the hadith is telling us um, uh, it was a story about uh, Malik bin Al-Huwairith radiallahu anhu. He and some of uh, another um, young uh, learners like him, they came to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. They were around at the same age. Shababah mutaqaribun. Faqabna ma'hu ishrina laylah. And then we spent uh, about twenty nights with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Um, uh, قَالَ وَكَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ رَحِيمًا رَفِيقًا So that was his uh, conclusion, how he observed Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam as their teacher. He said that he was kind and merciful to us. Um, فَظَنَّا أَنَّا قَدْ إِشْتَقْنَا أَهْلَنَا But when he saw our yearning for our families, so the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam sensed that their focus decrease uh, they were thinking about their family ahlina and therefore rasulullah sallallahu alaihi asked us about our family um, and then faakhbarnahu uh, so we told him about uh, our family what we were thinking in our mind uh, and then faqala irji'u ila ahlikum faaqimu fihim wa'allimuhum wa muruhum so uh, when we told them, uh, when we told the Prophet that we miss our family, he said, "Return and be with them. So go home and join your family. Teach them and do the prayer. Uh, when the time for the prayer comes, one of you should give the adhan. Uh, and then the last part of the hadith said, and on behalf of all of you, uh, the, the oldest of you should be the imam. So when I was studying Sharia, uh, my focus was only on the very last part of the hadith. It, it is discussing, it is a dalil uh, to tell us about who should be the imam. Uh, but um, after coming to Finland or even before coming to Finland, when we start to equip ourselves more about uh, pedagogy, to learn more about how people learn, and then we started to see the silent uh, pedagogy uh, behind the hadith of the Prophet And we examine the hadith and we can see that, well, the Sahaba, when they learn about Islam from Rasulullah 
their experience was different than the experience our children have, even ourselves, when we learn about Islam. Because um, now we know uh, the knowledge of Islam from the dichotomy that uh, we are familiar with. We have faith, and then we have uh, aqidah, and then we have akhlaq, and of course we have ulumul Quran, ulumul Hadith, and etc. But uh, when we learn Islam from fiqh, somehow uh, it became very technical and the vocabularies that we use to describe about Islam became very dry. Uh, and this is very different from the experience the Sahaba had when they learned about the similar prayer with the Prophet We know the hadith, Sallu kama ra'aytumuni usalli Pray the way you see me praying um, that is from that point of view but the sahaba when they learn about prayer about salat with rasulullah sallallahu was it similar to the way our children learn about um, uh, about salat we can see from this hadith there are differences uh, for example uh, the first one we we can see that uh, how rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam paid attention to the student's state of emotion, meaning that the, uh, the engagement of the students, uh, are they still there? Not just physically, but their soul, their mind, uh, do they still concentrate? Are they happy? Are they not? All these things are important to Rasulullah when he taught the Sahaba um, Islam. Of course, we can ask ourselves uh, in our classrooms today, do teachers pay enough attention? If students were looking outside uh, the window or you know, um, thinking about something, I don't know in your experience, but uh, in our experience, uh, we have totally a different story. You know, <laughs> Sometimes uh, the teacher can take the marker pen and throw to you and say, where are you? What are you doing? Um, so mm, it's very different. But we know that children learn better when they are happy, when they are motivated, when they are in a state of um, positive, with this positive emotion. And there are things that uh, we can do to improve about this aspect. I remember here in Finland, when um, I go to teach in Finnish schools, uh, doing some volunteer teaching, um, of course, the biggest challenge that I had is I am a foreigner, I am not their school teacher, and I only have around um, 45 minutes uh, to engage with them. And uh, to make sure that teaching and learning uh, are effective, uh, I need to make sure that uh, the students feel secured uh, being in my lesson, in my classroom, and that requires some strategy. But we can talk about that um, some other time. Um, the main important, the, the most important point that I would like to highlight, uh, the first thing we learn from the hadith is that Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam gave enough concentration to identify that these children or these young learners um, are they well engaged or not. And when he found that they were not happy, they were thinking about something else. Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam asked them. You were thinking about your family, tell me about them. And then when Rasulullah asked uh, Malik bin al-Huwairith uh, and the other students, 
to to share with him about their concern this also demonstrates the trust that exists in the classroom in the classroom between the teacher and the students between the sahaba and rasulullah sallallahu uh, alaihi and because of that we told him our stories it is not easy when a teacher asks students what bothers you what do you have in your mind can you explain to us it is not easy uh, because if there is no trust the children the students will not be open to share their personal struggle some things that bother them from their house uh, their, their personal issue with the teachers not to mention how uh, challenging it will be if the teachers uh, break the trust you know a student share with you something that bother him or her and then you talk about it with other teachers and then it became like widespread and become talk of the town you know in the school once you break the trust it's going to be very very difficult uh, to reach this level but with no trust it's very challenging to establish a meaningful learning process so that was the second thing i would like to highlight from the hadith the third one um when the sahaba malik bin al huwairith and all the other young learners with him told the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that we miss our family mashallah eh? rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam did not belittle the struggle the emotion rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam did not say to them how are you going to hold this religion how are you going to be the mujahideen if after 20 nights you already you know think about your family you are so weak you know it's not like that you know the the, the struggle that the students are having thinking about their family is a serious matter meaning that there is no point anymore to continue this setting of learning being together at my place therefore rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam switch the learning setting into something else so let's stop the session here go home and bring the learning process back to your own house so he instructed them to to go home it, it didn't mean that stop learning but rasulullah sallallahu changed the learning setting and then when he sends the students malik bin al huwairith and all the other students home rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam also uh, gave them enough guidance and instructions to empower their self regulation um rasulullah sallallahu gave them some guidance meaning that when you go home uh, pray and when you pray pray openly um, invite your family and teach them and then when the time comes for you to perform the prayer one of you should call the other but when it comes to um, leading the prayer to become the imam the character that has been uh, mentioned by the prophet sallallahu um, you should choose uh, uh, the, the elder one to uh, to lead the, the prayer uh, meaning that Rasulullah did not specify, okay, you so and so should lead the prayer, but this is the criteria. You go and have your discussion and choose the right one, you know, to 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 uh, to do uh, what need to be done. So from this hadith, we can see how in one occasion there are so many silence pedagogy uh, exists 
it means uh, as for me as a teacher and also as a student in learning sciences, um, I'm always amazed to see that uh, how Rasulullah sallallahu uh, as a teacher, uh, we think Rasulullah as a great teacher, not simply because we are Muslims and Rasulullah uh, is a prophet, but because he was genuinely a good teacher. And there are so many other hadiths. We know, uh, for example, one book that was written by uh, Sheikh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghuddah, Rahimahullah, uh, Ar-Rasul Al-Mu'allim. Uh, it has been translated into many different languages. Uh, the English vers version uh, is available uh, everywhere, including ebook uh, on Kindle, if you are on Kindle. Um, compiling so many hadith uh, that are demonstrating the Prophet's strategy in delivering teaching. Uh, the only thing is that, uh, in my personal observation, is that um, we pay quite a lot of attention to empowering teaching, but we have not yet give enough attention to the empowerment of learning. And this is very understandable because uh, maybe around uh, 30 years ago, we didn't have enough technology to understand more about learning. Uh, so when we talk about uh, educational reform, we talk more about uh, improving what is visible in the classroom and that is teaching. So we always talk about improving teachers' education, teacher training, uh, having a better method uh, in delivering the content. Uh, but uh, nowadays with uh, the technology that we have, we understand more about the cognitive aspect of the learner, about the motivation, about the emotion regulation uh, and so on. And I want to uh, benefit all these things uh, to improve uh, our learning experience, especially for our children nowadays. Right. <clears throat> um, so how 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 are we going to bring all these things uh, into one simple practical way of making learning Islam, especially at home with our own children, more meaningful? Of course, um, there are so many other suggestions. I am personally afraid uh, to tell anyone, okay, you should do this, you should do that, because parenting and dealing with children, with human being, is very dynamic. Um, um, and I myself also still learning a lot, uh, handling my own uh, children. Uh, here in Finland, I have four kids, three boys and one girl. And um, most of the time, technically, I am um, alone doing it because uh, my other half, my wife, uh, is working in Ireland in different country. Uh, and we got to meet each other once a month, alhamdulillah. Um, so one thing that perhaps I can share with uh, our fellow brothers and sisters that usually works, and that is to have a meaningful conversation. And having a meaningful conversation with your own children need to be nurtured right from the beginning, meaning that you need to start early. You need to try uh, to engage yourself with your children to have meaningful conversation with them when they were toddlers, when they were at uh, elementary school level, and you will feel that it is very useful and probably that will be the last thing you still have to make yourself 
connected and engaged with your teenage kids. Um, and this is something that uh, we also can learn from what happened between uh, Ibrahim alayhi salam um, with his son Ismail alayhi salam has been mentioned in Surah As-Saffat uh, verse 102 uh, in this ayah um, Rasul, uh, uh, in this ayah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, explained فَلَمَّا أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ فَلَمَّا بَلَغَ مَعَهُ السَّعْنِ قَالَ يَا بُنَيَّا إِنِّي أَرَى فِي الْمَنَامِ أَنِّي أَذْبَحُكَ فَانْظُرْ مَاذَا تَرَى You can imagine when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded Ibrahim alayhi salam to slaughter his son Ismail, we know that Ibrahim alayhi salam is Khalilullah. Um, Khalilullah means that Ibrahim alayhi salam will definitely do whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded him to do. But even in a situation where there is no other option, Ibrahim alayhi salam demonstrated a very important aspect of parenting. He still asked his son's feedback, his son's opinion. What do you think? Mada taro. You know, this is something that I always have in my mind. How Ibrahim alayhi salam still asking feedback from his son about something that is non-negotiable. I ask myself, can you discuss with your children about something that they must do? And there's, there's no second or third options about prayer, about fasting, about uh, covering the awrah and etc. Uh, but remembering the story between Ibrahim and Ismail salam, having a meaningful conversation is very, very critical, at least uh, in my personal situation with my own children here in Finland. For example, I remember one day uh, my youngest uh, son uh, came uh, from school and then while taking off uh, his boot, uh, he said to me, uh, Dad, um, can I not belong to any religion? That was exactly the, the, the question that he asked me at that time. Um, and then, uh, when he asked that question, uh, of course, as a Malay Muslim coming from Malaysia, I, I usually think if similar question was asked back in my own kampung, uh, the Malay word, you know, for in, in my village, if I ask my parents, uh, can I not belong to any religion? Of course, it will trigger a lot of um, extreme reaction towards that. But that was a genuine question from this poor kid. He asked, can I not belong to any religion? So I asked him, mm, um, why do you ask the question? Is there something happened uh, at school? And then he said to me, well, my friends uh, mock God. Uh, and talk bad stuff about uh, God, about religion. I don't like to be different. Uh, I don't like uh, um, when they talk something like that um, and why we have to be Muslims. So when they ask these kind of questions, it requires a parent to sit down and to chat with our children and we talk about faith. And when we talk about faith, I myself, as a student of Sharia, I have to tell myself that when you want to engage your children talking about faith, you cannot chat with them 
based on all the schools of uh, thought that we knew from um, from 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 our study of Sharia. So it is not about the method of Salaf, the method of Khalaf, um, to talk about Allah, to talk about religion with my own kid, but I have to find my own way. I have to use my own family's lingua franca. Uh, I have to talk something that my ch my children can make sense and can understand about them. So we talk about the creator, about uh, you yourself, I myself, uh, uh, being in this world. Uh, do we accept that we are created and there is a creator and the creator is not only creating us but also those friends um, and that creator is who we know as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So is there any way that we can actually escape from having connection with that creator while we admit that we ourselves are created by him and the, the discussion continue uh, this is also the same thing happen um, when we talk about uh, when we talk about uh, Ramadan I remember we chat uh, last night uh, with my kids uh, after the Tarawih prayer we talk about something that happened in Tunisia in 1960s uh, when the president of Tunisia Habib Bourguiba um, instruct uh, the people uh, not to fast in Ramadan uh, if it uh, decreased the productivity um, and he himself uh, drank water uh, during the afternoon of Ramadan uh, while live broadcasting on television uh, so I asked my children what do you think about those experience uh, our fellow Muslim brothers and sisters experience in Tunisia so um, to them, they said, um, it does make sense because um, fasting can actually uh, decrease productivity because the memory about what they saw back in our home country in, in Malaysia, uh, in Ramadan, uh, the office hour is shorter. Um, at school, they learn lesser. Uh, they have a session to recite the Quran uh, and then there are so many uh, uh, session like this uh, having guests coming to the school and to the officers talking about Ramadan about Islam so as a leader probably who sees figures and numbers they can see in Ramadan Muslims are not productive when they are fasting so it means that if you disagree with what Habib Burgiba said then you have to prove to him that you are equally productive or even more productive meaning that we cannot simply uh, quote something from the history oh in ramadan you know muslims were great the battle of badar was in ramadan fathu makkah was in ramadan uh, salahuddin al ayubi um, um, won in the battle in ramadan uh, the ma'rakah of ain jalud was in ramadan so muslims were great um, uh, during the month of Ramadan, even though they were fasting. Yes, it's true, but that was a history. What about today? Do we still productive? And because of that, we try to engage and to discuss, meaning that if we do not agree with what Habib Burgiba said, 
then we have to find a diff uh, we have to to prove ourselves that we are equally productive in the month of ramadan I'll give an example um, when you drive a car a very good car um, a mercedes car and then the driver hit a tree accident do you blame the driver or do you blame the car rarely people blame the car why this car is so bad how can this expensive car hit the tree it's the driver to be blamed so um, when something bad happened in the month of ramadan uh, it was not simply because of ramadan itself or the fasting but it's because how the driver and the passengers you know the muslims themselves who drive themselves wrongly in the month of ramadan and because of that it is a very important now here in finland uh, of course in many other nordic and scandinavian countries uh, we have challenges uh, about uh, the timing uh, when we should start uh, fasting and when it will end uh, and we have different options so at the end for example in the previous years when we follow the Mekah timetable it ended up that we fast shorter than uh, our friends um, in uk or in france or in germany so how can someone live in um, northern um, you know in the north area northern europe fast fasting shorter than those in uh, other parts of europe but then we emphasize uh, at least for myself i emphasize with my children the 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 real value of fasting is not who fasts longer but how you fulfill how you fill your day with with activities reciting the quran and etc so this kind of uh, discussion require requires us to go beyond do's and don'ts uh, i would like to uh, finish our uh, my presentation um, by um, sharing with you a little bit how I try to make sense about fasting to my children using uh, this um, uh, the graph that I'm showing to you, the table that I'm showing to you. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described, um, uh, this ayah was revealed to Prophet Muhammad sallallahu during the second year of Hijriah. Um, we try to divide uh, the ayah about fasting into three uh, components input process and output ya ayyuhallazina amanu o you who believe or all believers that is the input that is where uh, everything begins kutiba alaykum siyam kama kutiba ala alladhina min qablikum fasting has been made uh, obligatory uh, as it was for you as it was for those before you that was the second part the process and then la'allakum tattaqun so perhaps you will become mindful of allah and that become the output so what we have is um, the first part is the faith the belief the paradigm the value and also the motive meaning that we fast why do we fast uh, first when we sense that we are uh, the aunt of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and of course fasting has uh, a lot of health benefits there are a lot of wisdoms and goodness behind uh, the practicing the practice of siam but we fast because it is about our faith it is about our belief and it is about our connection with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then it goes to the fiqh so if we do not achieve the desired output 
to have the quality of taqwa, then we try to go back to the input and also to the process. There might be something wrong with the input. There might be something wrong with the fiqh that we need to examine so that we can improve the outputs. These are some of simple things that uh, I uh, use uh, to help my children make sense of uh, our ibadah and our religion as a whole. So these are some of the things that I hope that um, can spark some discussions and for us as Muslims, when we think about education, when we think about parenting, we try to make things um, more meaningful and to go beyond memorization. Although memorization is still very important, but we need to have some insight into how our children construct their understanding about something, be open to any types of question they ask. And if we do not have answers to their questions, we have to be frank with them and we can work together in finding answers, inshallah. So thank you so much. I return my session back to Brother Ravin as well as perhaps there are some Q&A from our fellow brothers and sisters, inshallah. Thank you.